Hello, everybody. Welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. As some of you are aware, I have been telling you over and over again that I am essentially a native of the Atlanta area. Uh, my mother's people have called this place home for essentially almost longer than it's been a place. I'm pretty sure almost longer than it's been a place. So, it blows my mind that Atlanta is now the epicenter for the movie-making industry. There are, at one time, there were more movies being made here than anywhere else in the world. That really just blows my mind because, I mean, this is just home to me. And I have been wanting to talk to actors that are that are Southern actors and people that are from the South, but also people that have located to Atlanta. And I have met Ben Blayton. Now, Ben Blayton and I had a, had a fascinating talk. Um, some of you might remember my podcast I did with the gentleman who works in mobile gaming in Europe where I told everybody that I was a massive fan of heavy music. Uh, ben and I talk quite a lot. That is Ben Bladen and I talk quite a lot in this episode of our mutual love of heavy music and punk music in particular. Um, I was never one of these people that, that thought that punk and metal didn't need to coexist. Uh, that that's a lot of people of maybe of a different generation, but uh, that was never yours truly. Um, okay, so with that said, this was a very fascinating conversation about being an actor, and also a little bit about the music scene in Atlanta, because he was, you know, in a punk band in Atlanta for for several years, and we also talked about music and how he migrated from Florence, South Carolina to Atlanta, Georgia, the uh, basically the Big Peach or the, the uh, Big A or whatever you want to call it, my hometown, the smallest town of 7 million people in anywhere in the world. All righty. <laughs> Thank you very much, and uh, have a nice day. As always, I'm having a great day, and... I really, really hope you are too. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. All right. So, um, why don't you just start off by introducing yourself? Okay. Um, my name is Ben Bladen, and I'm a I'm an actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I also used to be the vocalist in a punk rock band back in the day. Um, and that's that's really about it. <laughs> Uh, okay, tell me about because I've been wanting to talk about to actors and to screenwriters, etc., about about the business. So tell me about the business. Okay. Uh, um. Well, I mean, what do you want to know about the business? There's so many things to tell. Well, okay. Uh, tell me about uh being. First of all, do you work in Atlanta as an actor? Yeah, I work in Atlanta as an actor. Um, my agent. You know, I started out as background 
and um when i was doing background stuff i got to do some cool like monster feature stuff and that was all in atlanta but then after i decided to take acting classes and i got an agent my agent represents the entire southeast so most of the time i'll be in atlanta but sometimes um i might be in new orleans um I, I might be in Florida. I might be, you know, I might, I'm still in Georgia, but I might have to go to Savannah, something like that, you know. So I'm actually an actor for all around the south, the southeast until I get to the point where I can get another agent, like that represents like LA or New York or something like that. Then it's mostly just, you know, the southern states. So, okay, I didn't know that. So explain, okay, yeah. so the agents themselves, they represent different areas of the country, basically. Yes, they represent what they call markets, and um, okay. I okay. don't, I don't understand all about it myself. I don't understand a lot of the intricacies, intricacies of the business. Uh, I can tell you what I do, but it's like um, I do know that my agent, like I said, represents the entire Southeast market. It's not just Atlanta. It's anywhere in the Southeast region um, that has a lot of filming going on and um you know i might like i said i might be here for one job and then i might have to go to new orleans for another job Mm. you know why don't we talk a little bit about geography okay so when we talk about the southeast we're talking about the u.s uh, we're talking about southeast u.s southeast u.s yes we're talking about georgia you're talking about georgia we're talking about florida Talking about Florida. We're talking about South Carolina, North Carolina. Yes, that's correct. Are we talking about Virginia? Uh, well, you know what? That's possible. I can't claim to be an expert on geography, but I mean, I as mean, far as where your agent represents. Like, yes, I have gotten a, I have gotten a few um, auditions for stuff in Virginia. Okay. Okay. Um, I I haven't um booked any of them yet, but I do get them. Yes. What kind of, um, how would you say, like, describe to me your day as an actor, like a working actor? Um, just a usual day or a day on set? My, a usual day is, you know, I wake up, I drink my coffee, um, I check my email, and I basically just go about my day until my, until my agent sends me an audition. And um, then when I... Um, you know, when he sends me an audition, I got to plan out what I want to do. Usually, I'll get an audition on one day, and it'll be due. Sometimes it'll be due in two days. Sometimes it'll be due like a week from now. And so I have to plan accordingly, give myself time to prep, you know, uh, set. And then I'll I'll go through that, and then I'll like um I um yeah you know I'll, I'll look up just i'll just look at stuff in the acting community like um different classes i could take uh different insights people have different um when you say acting class do you mean like uh what what okay i've heard the term i've never in my life attended an acting class but i've heard the term what is an act what is an acting class first of all well, it depends. Some people, it it all depends. Like some people um, decide they want to be an actor really early on. And I mean, they take like drama in college or they might take theater in high school and college. In my case, 
um, you know, I was like a background performer, you know, like one of the guys walking down the sidewalk while the actors are performing. Um, mm -hmm. I did that a lot. And um, I was starting getting lucky with things like I'd get a really cool spot on something. But then, like, you know, I got I, or I get like a line with, with something or I'd get like a. Um, I, every once in a while, somebody might want to hire me is what they call a SAG actor, which is, um, which is an actor that goes by, you know, that they have to hire by the union standards. But then I'd, every single time I get something really cool, the very next job, I go straight back to being a background actor. And that, that there's a huge pay gap in between those things. Background actors are lucky to make like maybe a hundred dollars a day while, while, um, actor actors make like really good money and it's not just like you know and it's not just about the money though that's just an example of the difference between the two i mean the work is a lot more rewarding you get a lot more screen time a lot more respect but anyway what i'm trying to say is that going from doing something really cool to back to being a background actor just wasn't working for me so i started trying to think of a better way to do this so i started looking into acting classes and I found a school called Drama Inc., which is here in Atlanta. And, um, and you know, I took an on-camera class, which was only six weeks. And then, um, but then they started telling, I started hearing about these acting techniques. And so I started researching the acting techniques until I finally decided that, you know, it's like I could spend forever trying to figure out which acting technique was right for me. So just pick one and go with it. And so I picked something called the Meisner technique and I took a six month class in it. Now this is like a intensive class. So it's basically covering two years worth of material in six months. But, and it was rough and it was stressful, but by the time I got out of it, it changed like everything for me. All of a sudden all these casting directors that book speaking roles were starting to pay attention to me. And that's when I got signed to my agent as well. Um, but you know, you can take all kinds of different classes. Um, how, how did the Meisner technique change? How specifically did the Meisner um, technique change things for you? The Meisner technique, I mean, is based on like, it's based on using your imagination, um, you know, and to create certain things. One, one, the, the stressful stuff came from like learning how to access your emotions on command. Like learning, learning how to how to make yourself cry when you weren't really sad or, or be like or be angry when when you had nothing to be angry about in real life. You know, it's like. um, And. Uh, and I, that was a stressful part, basically a lot because it was like. It was a lot. It was a lot of therapy because in order to access his emotions, you had to, like, take a good hard look at yourself and ask yourself why. Could you not access these emotions? Why is it so easy for you to access other emotions? You know, stuff like that. Um, but it's like the the Meisner technique, I mean, it just changed everything for me because of stuff like that and learning the different tricks and and but more than anything, it just six months of working around other aspiring actors and just being in that environment. And always having to challenge myself in the acting community just made me a much better actor than I was when I started. 
Okay, and you say that's what led you to getting an agent and things like yes. that. Yes, my um, I had like a a um, we had to do a showcase at the end of the class, which was um, which was like um, you know, you you pair up with somebody and you they give you a scene to perform, and this was this was uh pre-COVID, so at the time you know people were actually coming to the class you know it was like kind of like doing it as theater and um so me and my scene partner we performed the scene and my acting teachers agents were there and at the end of it we had this little separate room with catering and it was like an after party and they pulled me to the side and said they liked what they saw and they wanted to set up a meeting and um and uh sure enough they did and i got signed the next week yeah, okay. So. Um you well, you know, COVID happened. And yes. I actually have a lot of episodes about COVID. Oh yeah. And every time every time somebody says the magic COVID word, I always <laughs> always like to ask cuz fundamentally this is a history podcast. So Right. I always like to ask how did you find out about COVID yourself? How did I find out about COVID? Uh, I mean, it was basically, you know, through the news. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I watch the local news. I don't watch any any shows like Fox or CNN. I don't watch any channels like that. But I do watch, like, the local news every morning. And so okay. just, like, following up on stories like that and then, you know, hearing my, um, he- hearing, um, you know, my friends on social media talk about it and you know i I don't really believe anything i see on social media (laughs) unless but if i do see something that interests me i'll research it to see how true it is or not and so you know seeing all these articles about covid caused me to do a lot of research and that's basically it just went from there yeah 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 you know i mean like personally and I said this so long ago, I feel like I can say it again. But yeah, personally, the way I, I learned about it first off was from a nurse at okay. a doctor's office. But then I'll never forget this part. Mm-hmm. I was laying in my bed looking at Twitter on my phone. And I saw these videos in Italy. Okay. People lying on the floor in the hospital like they ran out of bed so hardcore. Right. They were putting people in the, in the hallway, right? Literally in the hallway, right? And I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh exactly. God. I mean, I started looking at videos like that too, and it's just the whole general consensus of it. And, you know, I was like, "Wow, this, this is pretty serious." I guess I better do it. I'm, I've never been one to follow the rules, you know. Which yeah. I will get, we'll get into my punk rock past in a few minutes. I'm assuming, but. Uh, but like um, absolutely (laughs) but i've never been one to follow the rules but like you know when people are dropping dead like five hundred thousand people in six months and maybe you should listen to what people tell you yeah (laughs) you know and like so and not to mention the fact that you know the the acting community was my for a while there now i've gotten to the point where i don't do background anymore for for a while, I was even when I had my agent, I was still taking background jobs, you know, because like mm. it was just a little extra money in between, like the the good money I was making with acting, you know, 
And um, and I didn't really have like a a real nine to five side job, and that's why I was doing that. And like um, but the entire film industry just shut down. There was no work anywhere, so that was a good sign too, you know, that um that something was very very wrong. <laughs> and oh, yeah. all the all the businesses shutting down and them telling you to stay indoors and and yeah you know yeah i mean people um you know I, i'll never forget i went out to eat the night the nba closed up which mm-hmm. the the only reason i know exactly when the nba closed up is because i have a podcast about it yeah about covid and i'm the NBA closed up on March 14th of 2020. Yeah. Um I went out to I went out to supper that night and I literally remember sitting in the restaurant and you could hear every phone go off at the same it was like like in a movie. Yeah. Know, basically at the same time. Right. And everybody was like, "Oh god, this is for real. Like this is this is for real." All right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the same way. I mean, I I was not really, you know, I'm like 49 years old, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I um, yeah, and, you know, even back then I was 40, what 48? Back then it was like a year ago, but like <laughs> um, <laughs> back back then I was 48 years old, but um, you know, it's like I I'm kind of um, um, past my time of being a socialite. <laughs> so unless it's work related or I mean I try to get out of the house once a day but I, I'm generally content just to sit around my house and watch like a movie or something on TV so but um yeah I, I forgot where I was going with this um oh yeah but I started I started seeing about like you know all the things about things shutting down and I try to walk to my local store and and most most of those places are shut down and that's just another reason to reinforce how serious all this was you know you don't just shut down an entire country unless there's some real shit happening <laughs> for real for real yeah, you know i mean so. and it's, it was the whole world too which was what was so yeah it was the whole world bonkers exactly. i mean it was so bonkers and one of the things that i learned because I do this podcast and I talk to people. Yeah. Is there was a lot of people all over the planet going through kind of the same situation where right. they could where like they could work, but right. they 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 could in some cases they couldn't. But right. they, they could open their shop or whatever. Right. But nobody would come to it. Or like they didn't know like because you, rem- I mean, we both lived through it. So you and I remember there was a period of time when you didn't know how bad this could get. Right. Like, yeah. How, how bad this could be. Yeah. And, you know, but I do want to come back to the acting because something might hit in my right. brain. But okay. let me talk. I've been wanting to talk about your punk days <laughs> for a long time. So let's talk about okay. that. Okay, I'll tell you what I can remember. <laughs> well, somebody we know told me something you said, and uh-huh. I thought I want to talk to this man because you said the kids today don't have a scene. 
Well, back in okay. My day, back in my day, we had a scene. I don't think I said it quite like that because I'm not an old geezer, but I'm sure I did say something to that effect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, is um, you know, to talk about this, I'm going to have to talk about my hometown in Florence, South Carolina. And, um, and you know, I, I, I was born with nerve damage and, um, and I was one of those guys. I mean, like when I was a kid, I was like severely disabled and, um, I, I was in and out of the hospital all the time. And that really doesn't have anything to do with anything except I'm setting the stage. It's like, um, I, it's like when I got better, I, I started getting better. And the reason why I started getting better is because I saw some martial arts thing on TV when I was 10 and I decided I don't want to be a ninja. And but there weren't any ninja courses in Florence, South Carolina. So my parents enrolled me into Taekwondo. I went and became a black belt in Taekwondo and that I couldn't take anybody in a fight right now. But it did go a long way to helping my disabilities become more invisible than they were now they're still not invisible to this day i still get people who are like uh, who are like you know can i ask you what happened to you or something like that which shows you that they're not invisible but uh i still it's something i still struggle with to this day and like i said that doesn't really have anything to do with anything to upsetting the stage is when i was a when i was in my teenage years it's like i never really fit in with anybody and um until mm-hmm. I met the punk rockers, which was like um, in, in a small town like Florence, punk rockers were just a bunch of kids who fit in with each other because they didn't fit in with anybody else. And I'm like, OK, these are my people. And so back then, it's like in Florence, we, um, you know, it was, it was on her. You were never going to see a punk band in a club. So the people mm-hmm. who were in the scene would run out like American Legion halls. And um, and and um, community centers and they would put on punk. Punk mm-hmm. shows and then. um, And then, you know, I decided I was going to start my own punk band. I couldn't create it. I couldn't uh, play an instrument because of my coordination problems. But I felt like I saw people just holding the mic in their hand and screaming. And I was like, I can do that. So. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And um, I started. um. So I started a bunch of bands that were kind of shitty and because uh, I couldn't really sing at the time. But I was like, fuck it, man. Who cares? It's punk rock. And um, but the more I did it, the stronger my voice got until I finally ended up in a good band. We called ourselves Harsh Reality and we went on for like two years. And then when we broke up, my friend Gary convinced me to move to Atlanta. Mm. And um, we moved to Atlanta. And it was like an entire culture shock, man. All of a sudden, we were at these big clubs, like the Masquerade, seeing bands like Bad Religion and Agent Orange and, and um, you know, bands that I could only dream of, mm-hmm. that I could only dream of seeing when I was in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, but, you know, it's like we got here, and when we first got here, we, we saw a couple of local punk shows. When we went to the bigger punk shows, we felt like it was kind of a fashion show. Mm-hmm. Like, like um, everybody just, everybody was just there to be seen. Like, we were... Uh, yeah, empty. I think I think I know what you mean. Like, yeah. like you and I are peers in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
So there was this period where you could dress up. It's it's kind of like now you get kids wearing Nirvana t-shirts. Right, right. That are that are amazed to learn that Nirvana was a band. <laughs> right. You know, like it's kind of like that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> we got to Atlanta and we realized like um you know the whole thing it seemed like more of a fashion show than anything else because when i was in florence i went through the whole thing where i i i had a mohawk and mm. and i had my leather jacket and i had my punk rock t-shirts and my ripped jeans and and uh, i tried wearing boots a couple of times they kind of sucked so i just stuck to like converse all-stars um and finally i decided that was all too much trouble to <laughs> to like you know just it was all too much trouble to figure out what to wear to look how punk rock to look just put on a a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and get on with your day man but you know but after over time we actually made some real friends here in the punk rock scene and um yeah let me let me back up just a hot second what okay now i'm from the south yeah um I've been through Florence. Yeah. What was on the radio in Florence, South Carolina? Like you talk about punk kids, right? Yeah. You're talking about punk kids. How were these people? Was it MTV? Was it the radio? Was it just word of mouth? Was it? You uh, know I what I'm saying? I don't know how the slightest idea how most of these kids got into the music. I know how I got into the music. It was my uh-huh. friend. Um. When I was in high school, I was like kind of a, you know, I went through my phases. I, I was into hair metal, and then for a while, I was, I was into rap, like the old school, like the Run DMC, Curtis Blow, Fat Boys type stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I kind of got into metal, and um, I, I then you know I, I listened to Metallica. I got into like the real thrash metal, and back then it was like Metallica was the shit. Nowadays, you got bands that make Metallica look like just a, a hair rock band, but, but back then, Metallica was the shit. And um, I listened to bands like Testament and and all those bands. And then I met my friend in high school. Her name was Jolene, Jolene Caparasso. And she is she was a transplant from New Jersey. And um, she introduced me to a band called Suicidal Tendencies. And that, <laughs> yeah, and that... Yeah band changed my worldview forever there was like yeah no it was like i I started listening to suicidal and that's when i met the other punk rock kids now how they how they discovered the bands they they listened to i i don't have the slightest clue um but that's so essentially it was word of mouth yeah basically um yeah yeah I, i remember the first time i tried to find some punk rock music and um I had just discovered Bad Religion. And Bad Religion to this day is still my favorite band. And um and I discovered I had just discovered them and I wanted to check out more about them. And um I went into Blockbuster Music and I was like, Yeah, you got any bad religion? And they were like, Bad who? And <laughs> I ser- I searched around and in some of the bargain basement tapes I found a band called Sick of It All and um and also a band called The Adolescents. So I bought those yeah. two. T- I was like, well, they sound punk. I'll try them out. So Sick of It All is also to this day is one of my favorite bands. And that lessons, I don't know if I'll call them my favorite band, but they're definitely, you know, 
legendary status. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, so, but if you juxtapose, say, institutionalized. Right. By what was on the radio, like if you were to cut on the radio, you would hear. Yeah. I, I'm guessing you'd hear a lot of Tom Petty. Right. You'd right. hear a lot of, a lot of. Uh, you might would have heard Kiss, but maybe not. You're right. But you might, you know, like. Yeah, I. Punkies must seem like came from Mars or something. Yeah, it did, but that's that's what I loved about it. Because like I said, yeah, like I said, I never like. I, I, that goes back to me like, never feeling like I fit in anywhere. And I don't know, when I heard that suicidal album, mm. it was, and yeah, it was institutionalized. Um, when I heard that album, I don't know, something just called out to me. And then I started, I started hanging out with these guys and hearing more of these punk bands. And then I discovered Bad Religion. And, um, and you know, I, I just fell in love with Bad Religion. And um, I just kept going on from there and learned more and more about punk rock bands. Now, in, in South Carolina, you couldn't really find, like I said, I found a couple of tapes in the bargain basement thing at Blockbuster. Mm. But if we wanted to get, like, actual uh, punk music, we had to go to Columbia, South Carolina. There was a record store called Manifest that, um, that like, specialized in selling that kind of music. Also, if we wanted to see the big bands, we had to go to um, we had to go to uh, to Columbia to go to Rockefellers. Well, we had some pretty big bands in Florence. We had like um, I knew Fugazi came and played at one of our community centers. Mm. That was before Fugazi was what it is now. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, and we had a band called Citizen Fish play there one time, which is like um. Citizen Fish was like the lead singer of a legendary punk band called the Subhumans, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and you know then and the Subhumans had already broken up before, by the time I got into the scene. But we had their follow-up band, Citizen Fish, played in Florence, and mostly mm-hmm. it was just a bunch of um of touring bands, like smaller touring bands that you had never heard of before, but you got there and it was just fucking awesome. But you listened to them and it was just fucking awesome, you know. Mm. And um mm. and uh so yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh so you, you got to Atlanta what year would you say? I got to Atlanta in nineteen ninety. You know how you have those I don't know. You know how you have those little memory things where so long ago you're not sure if you're remembering something right. As far as I'm concerned, I got to Atlanta in nineteen ninety four. But my resume says I graduated from college in 1995, so I'm not sure how that worked out. But well, one of those two is one of those two is wrong, and I'm not sure which one it is. But according well, to my friends, we got there in 1994, so I just go whichever. with whichever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 94, 95. Yeah, right. What's the difference? Two years, two, three years between <laughs> friends. What? Who cares? Right, right. But mid, mid to late 90s. Right, right. All right. Yeah. And um, and you said it was basically like Disney World for the punk yeah no oh, for for us yeah it was like um you know we were we were dealing with the culture shock of moving from a small town to a big city but mm-hmm. I wasn't dealing with one isn't exactly the right word I mean we loved it and I'd have to say my first 
maybe a year there, I went a little bit crazier than I'd like to admit. <laughs> but, you know, I calmed down eventually once I got used to living in the city. And, um, but, you know, at first we, we'd kind of meet people, you know, it was me and my friend Gary. And we always had like a wandering roommate, I guess, like the one guy who, um, moved up there with us, decided to move back to Florence. And then we had another guy who moved in, who came to Atlanta, moved in with us. And then he decided to move back to Florence. And, but, you know, me and Gary pretty much, you know, it was always us with whoever wanted to be our roommate at the time. <laughs> basically yeah and uh and you know we um we we met a lot of people we'd meet people and then they'd be like the people we would hang out with at the time and then that kind of and then somehow we'd meet a whole brand new set of people that were that were still from the punk scene you know and like um mm. we started hanging out with them for a while and um and, you know, and basically it was like we got to meet all these little subsets of people who hang out with each other. But then we all came together when there was a good show in town. So, like, you know? let me, okay. So, like, you had, um, there's all different genres of punk. I mean, there's all right. different, you know, leaving aside pop punk for a second or for whatever, however long. There's all different genres. There's, like, different, and this kind of like flogging molly or like uh yeah you know which to me that's not i mean all that is really is just sped up uh kind of sped I, up yeah kind of sped up folk music sped yeah. up folk music it's, it's great you know i like it but still yeah. it, it's it's there's not you look on stage and there's not really a single guitar there's not a right. electric guitar there's not you know it's it's penny whistles and whatever else <laughs> yeah but then you got, you know, the Dropkick Murphys, and they got a little bit of that, and they, you know, whatever. Right. But, I mean, it's all this weird how all the different genres sort of, you know, they separate yeah. out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm one of those weird, I was always one of those weird kids, which was like, you had these kids who were the hardcore kids. And then you have these other kids who were the pop punk kids. And then you'd have these other kids who liked... You'd have people who liked old school, like anything from 1977, but hated new school music. And then mm. you have people who loved all the new shit, but hated the old shit. And I, I mean, I, from the time I got into punk, I always loved all of it. I thought, I always thought it was just different ways of saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and all, I thought all the music sounded good. And, um, yeah. I mean, they appealed to me for different reasons, obviously. But but I love them all. And, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean the story I always go back to is I used to know this guy. I'm not I'm not gonna say the band, but I used to know this guy in this band. It's kind of big. Yeah. And in his truck, he always had like he played really heavy stuff, which he really loved the heavy stuff. But in his truck, he always had Elton John. Oh right. Or like. Uh, air supply i'll never forget we went to this gig and here he is listening to air supply all, all the way down he's i have to get in the right frame of mind to play thrash <laughs> and i was like by listening to air supply, air supply. <laughs> right well i mean some some people are weird like that man I'm, I'm, i've realized that most people are interesting and they have their own stories you know i mean like um 
I mean, yeah. I li- I listened to like my band when when we first started a band in um in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, it was it was um me, Gary, and one of the guys who lived with us at the time, and then um and okay. yeah, we called and, we, no, and yeah, you were ahead. you were still the lead singer at this point. So I was I have always been the lead singer. Now later on, I learned how to write my own music without playing an instrument, but we'll we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, yeah, I was just I I wrote the the lyric. I would listen to the music that was presented to me by the other musicians, and I would figure out how to how, you know I would I would write the lyrics and I would figure out the best ways to sing it. And I would also like um, be a big part because they would come up with the parts. They would be like, "Okay, I want this to be a part of it. I want this to be a part of it. I want this to be a part of it." And I would say, I would come up with the lyrics and think of a cool way to arrange it. And I would say, "Okay, now this part of music is going to be the verse. Okay, now this is going to be the chorus. This is going to be the bridge. And we're going to arrange it like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, or something like that." You know, that's a pretty standard way to arrange it. That that was my job in the band. Mm-hmm. And um and like um so you know the the first time we did it, we um it, it was me, Gary, and Gary played drums. And um we were is our roommate at the time, his name was Mark. Um it, he, he, we decided to start a band. And we got a bass player from a guy who used to live in South Carolina, but had actually moved to Atlanta way before us. And he was a bass player in a really popular band in South Carolina. And uh, he decided he wanted to play bass for us. And we played like one show. And then Mark decided he wanted to move back for a while and um, to South Carolina. And so then um, I met some other guys. Um, like the, Mark said he wanted to move back, so Alan, the bass player, I was just talking about, went off back to doing his own thing. And then another friend of ours named Rob moved from South Carolina. He played bass. So, and I happened to see a um, an ad in the Creative Loafing for a guitar player looking for a punk band. Um, and so we met him. His name was Jesse, and we started another lineup of the band. Um. And we went on for about six years. And then we started another lineup with the band because um, there's a whole long story to why our bass player or a guitar player couldn't do it anymore. But I put out an ad for another bass player and guitar player. And we started a third lineup with the band. And really, it was it was like three different bands with similar styles, but we just kept the same name. Um, we were called Too Far Gone. And we honestly just couldn't think of a better name. <laughs> well, that sounds. I mean, you yeah. put the right graphics on that. I mean, right, right. I mean, and, if you um, heard the name Metallica, you think that's a stupid name for a band, yeah. and you see it, and, okay. <laughs> All right. We we love the name Too Far Gone, and it was like, no matter who came and went in the band, it was always me and Gary, the drummer. His name was Gary Stanton. I realized I said everybody's last name, but his. Um, and it was um. And like, um, it was always me and him. So we finally decided that we love the name so much. We didn't, we couldn't think of anything better. So we said, look, as long as it's me and you in the band, we're just going to call ourselves too far gone, (laughs) you know? And so 
But, you know, we, we went on and we played, we never really toured or played a lot of out of town shows, but we hit like pretty much all the, the clubs here in Atlanta that play punk rock and we played house parties and we played people's basements and, and we, we, we became a pretty big name in the punk scene at the time we were at, Mm -hmm. I think we, I think between all three lineups, we went from 1994 to 2007. Yeah, that's before, a long time for a band yeah. like that. Yeah, and before we kinda, finally started, decided yeah. to call it quits. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of before the... I mean, you know, personally, I was... I mean, you know, I, I, I would argue even with myself as to when the Great Recession really started. All right. But 2008 is when the crash happened uh, right so i mean i would imagine you had a pretty vibrant scene that you could you know yeah exist in. yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. we um the whole time i was there for 1994 like i said it was basically just you know um it's, it's basically like i wouldn't call them clicks because i'm not trying to say they were like fashion oriented but they were all in their little groups of mm. people of like close-knit friends that all listen to punk rock but then we'd all come together you know who was like when there was a big show or something or somebody was throwing a house party or or with bands playing or something like that you know and that was basically the scene <laughs> and um and being as i mean I mean, were you on Facebook at that time? Because I know Facebook used to be um, like you could find things on Facebook that you can't really find anymore. Um, yeah, no. Well, okay. We are on Facebook, but that happened like years after we broke up. Um, Facebook was a thing when we were together. It wasn't a thing when we first started. No. But it was right. But it was like. Um, yeah, back back when we first started, we just um relied on the bands we the bands we had met and um basically word of mouth. You know, it's like we would um we would open up for the more popular bands because we had become friends with them. Mm-hmm. And um and then we would open up for bands that these people would come see and then all of a sudden they know who we were. You mm-hmm. know, and then like um we went on like that until people finally wanted to start coming to shows to see us. Um, yeah. And so, like, you know, that was essentially the scene mm-hmm. here. Now, yeah, yeah. To, to, set, to talk about the comment that you first, that, that you first, when you, when you said I got to talk to this guy. Um, now, if there is a scene, I don't know about it. I see no evidence of it. <laughs> I, um, there are still bands. There are still punk bands that yeah. that play in clubs. But it's like I go to a punk show and I couldn't tell you who any of these people are. You know, and like I'm sure yeah. they're cool kids. I'm not dissing them or anything, but you know. I, I wonder. Know. Yeah, I wonder if because I lived in Midtown. Yeah. And I saw Midtown transition yeah. into Disneyland. Okay. Like I watched it happen. Right. And because I was around these oral history archives, yeah. I could I could go back and I could read 
oral histories of Atlanta. And I could see that 10 years ago from when I was there, like 10 years Mm -hmm. before that, even it was less, it was even less of a theme park situation. Mm -hmm. And now it's to me, it's just, it's like, I don't want to sound all get off my lawny, but (laughs) to me, it's like, I mean, are they are they what's happening? Are they what's happening each other? Are they, you know, are they Snapchatting or how how do they publicize where they're going? What's yeah. gonna happen? Or even do they even want to do that? I mean, you're right. You're totally right. There's no right. like. I mean, it's crazy even to talk. I have a friend who um, was in a different type of music than you are, but yeah. he even talks about it. He even yeah. talks about how you used to have these rehearsal spaces and, you know, these uh, places you could go to meet people to, to be in a band with. Yeah, yeah. And that just doesn't happen. <laughs> right. We, we actually practice in, we practice in a couple of those rehearsal spaces. It was basically like somebody, mm-hmm. somebody bought a warehouse. You, you know how they have the storage spaces now. Mm-hmm. And, um, somebody somebody bought like an old warehouse that used to be storage spaces but instead of uh instead of using them for storage spaces they rented them out as practice halls yeah and um and so each we each band would have their own room and every once in a while we get to talk to each other we see each other in passing you know sometimes the people in the other in the other in the room were friends of ours uh, across the hall from us when we practiced this place called the black block the black box <laughs> sorry there was this um mm-hmm. band called reeb which is beer spelled backwards and um you know they <laughs> um yeah and they were a great band you know and they um and and we knew each other from playing shows and we'd go out we'd meet each other in the hallway and be like oh yeah dude what's up blah 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 you know and like um yeah. Some, sometimes we come in each other other's practice spaces and just hang out and listen to each other's music and and stuff was like there, that. Was there an Atlanta sound? I mean, was there a sound that you that <sighs> maybe maybe it came from like country music country musicians hmm. playing punk or vice versa? I would say the Atlanta sound, the, the predominant Atlanta sound, I would say is rockabilly. Um, okay. which, which, um, has a place is similar enough to, you know, rockabilly is like, is kind of the old, you know, the old, um, the old rock type stuff. Um, yeah. but their, their attitudes were so akin to, to like the punk rockers mm. that we fit in, you know, and they were all anti-establishment and, and stuff like that, and we just we just gelled really well together. So that's, you would say, yeah, yeah, you would say like you you would see like rockabilly bands play at punk shows and vice versa. And I think if I had to say Atlanta had a sound, I would say that would that would be it. So you you wouldn't say rap at this point either. either. You'd say rockabilly. Well, no, I'm just talking about with the punk scene. Um, okay, rap is yeah rap is definitely a predominant atlanta sound yeah um, i mean i would say i mean you yeah know. most definitely there are a lot of great rap rap acts that came from atlanta you know like Ludacris and outcast were to name two of the more yeah. popular ones yeah um yeah. but you know yeah. that wasn't really my scene <laughs> well i, I mean, mean 
it I wasn't love rap. It wasn't mine per se either, but growing up here, you you had to, yeah, you had to encounter it one way or the other. Right. Well, you know, you know, as as I said, like back in Florence before I discovered punk rock, I went to this big um, hip hop phase where I was in the bands like Run DMC and Curtis Blow, and um, <laughs> and uh, I like bands that a lot of some people have never heard of like Airbnb and Rakim. Let me say most of my white friends have never heard of them. I've heard you say that. Yeah. Yeah. That. Well, now you have. Back when right. I was listening to them, uh, right. most, a lot of people hadn't heard of them. Right. But right, um. Right. But you um, know, like, yeah. What? Okay, so Florence, South Carolina. It's on a road. I mean, it's on a highway. Let me remember the highway. I ninety five. I ninety five. Yeah. Uh. What is the what was at the time the oh, it's, predominant it's, industry in Florence? The in Florence? Oh shoot, I I don't really know. Because you said you had a <laughs> transplant. You said you had a friend from New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey. So I'm wondering. Transplant uh, might have not might not have been the right word. I mean, she moved here from New Jersey, and well, that's, a word. that's yeah, a word. Yeah, yeah. Transplant. Um, like I I don't really know. Like my dad was an engineer. Um, my mom was a, um, was, uh, when I was young, she sold real estate, but when she found her calling was when she became an English professor in college. Um, and I mean, that that's all I really knew. And I mean, I, I don't really know of one industry that, that most people were working at. You don't you think know? it was a factory town per se, or like, no, not, that. not really. Um, I could be wrong about this. Most of my, yeah. Uh, Florence, South Carolina friends will probably listen to this and be like, you don't remember the factory down there? You know, but uh, <laughs> how was, dare uh, you not remember yeah, Spacely's yeah. widgets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, I was I was a punk rock kid and I really didn't give a sh- that was a punk rock kid in a small town. And I really didn't give a shit about stuff like that. Well, let me, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I remember how I was exposed to, say, uh, to Green Day. Yeah. Which was, I w- I knew this guy. That, um, he uh, we I would hang out with him, and he would be um in these chat rooms at all hours of the night. Yeah. And he would have this music, uh, this Green Day. Yeah. And I'd I'd never you know I I was a, you know my my musical taste began and ended with speed metal at that point. Right. And I heard this green day and I was like, that's wow. What is that? And, and so that's how I got into it. But it was because of that, that I got into like the dead milkman. I got it. Right. Um, you know, um, all that other stuff, like, but it's just like, I, so I, it's weird how stuff kind of cross pollinates, Right. And also, I think it's fair to say to to posterity, to the to the future, there Mm. was a time when you had to play music out loud. Oh, right. Like what you didn't have headphones. You couldn't walk around with headphones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like iPods and we don't have they don't even have that anymore. But right. Yeah. You know know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So you had to cross pollinate. Right. 
beautiful well, styles. So, yeah. With me, you know, I mean, before I heard of Green Day, I was listening to bands like The Descendants. And uh, Descendants was a really pop-punk band. Um, yeah. I was listening to a band called Screeching Weasel, who were a really pop-punk band. There were two different styles of pop-punk, but they were still, they had, the, they used those pop chords, mm. which fell them in the line. So, when, by the time I heard of Green Day, it was just like, it was just a, another pop-punk band, and they were good, and, um, and they were they were a lot more polished than a lot of the bands I was used to, mm. but, you know, it was just, you know, it was nothing I hadn't heard before. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I remember, like, uh, when Green Day first started playing, I would go to, we would go to Rockefellers and see them. We could see them for, like, six bucks, you know? Wow. And now they're charging whatever amount they're charging. And people are like, you're going to go to the Green Day show? I was like, shit. <laughs> I used to go see them for six bucks. I would damn near I'm paying, like, mm. you know, 50 or 150 or whatever they're charging now. But, Plus, I mean, it, it's weird to see guys that old singing. Like yeah, fifteen. It, it, uh, right. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was in a, <laughs> you know, I was in a punk band since I was um, since I was like, wow, shit. Let's see, in two thousand seven. It's two thousand twenty-one yeah. now. So in two thousand seven, I was. It was eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years ago. I was like thirty. So I was in a punk band until I was probably about 35, maybe. Um, yeah. You know, but we were always, we we played more like the really hardcore stuff. And yeah. the reason why we did was not so much that that was, it wasn't so much that that was always our favorite kind. Like I said, I was into all this stuff. The reason why we did is because we were good at it. <laughs> you know, I was like a hardcore punk rock vocalist. It's like I... Yeah. I don't usually call myself a singer because, you know, I ain't winning American Idol anytime soon. <laughs> but I could, I could like scream really well, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, dude, if this is what my voice is going to sound like, then I'm just going to be the best hardcore punk rock vocalist I could be. So we took more of our inspiration off bands like, like Sick of It All, um, the Cro-Mags, um, you know, all the really New York City, the Gorilla Biscuits, um, mm-hmm. all the, 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 all, the whole New York City hardcore sound, um, mm-hmm. Bad Brains, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so to be in a band like that at 35 wasn't that big. It was <laughs> it's probably a little better than just playing. We, we threw in a pop song every once in a while just for the hell <laughs> of it, because we come up with a pop song. We'll be like, OK. Here's our pop song, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, we were mostly along the the heavier, faster style of punk, yeah. the hardcore, you know. Yeah. So why don't you talk about um? Let's get back into the acting for a second and a half. Um, no, so it's fair to say that there's a lot of stuff there was at one time and. There might still be a lot of stuff filmed in Atlanta. In yeah. The vicinity. Um, have, what are the differences in terms of the filming between, say, Atlanta and some of the other places in the South well, that you've been to? I don't really know that I see a difference. I mean, it's like, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's pretty much because, I mean, 
when you when you come to like the big productions, it's like none of those productions are really from here. Mm-hmm. They're all they're they're all based they're all still based out of LA. They um they just don't film in LA anymore because it's gotten too expensive. And so it's like they're this is like they 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 come up with all this stuff in LA and most and it's like um most of the directors and stuff and, and producers are all still from LA. And and um and then they they you know they go into the pre-production of what they want to film and then they come here somewhere in the southeast to film it and that's where whatever suits their needs. Um you know and it's mostly because of they come to the cities that offer the biggest tax breaks for movies productions and Atlanta is still one of them. Um and I think like right now we have like 30 different productions going on here. Um but that's the last I heard and I think that was maybe about a few weeks ago. So it's probably still the same. But um it was not quite as big in New Orleans, but a lot of people still love. I but so far it's just as as far as being on set and witnessing what's going on is concerned, I haven't really seen much of a difference to tell you the truth. Between the way the in the way they handle their business or the way they do things, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know when I go to when I go to New Orleans, I get a hotel room. I, I don't get that yeah. here, but that's because I have a, pl- a home to go back to. Um, right. you know. so, so you don't know if the if the people coming in to Atlanta, they probably get hotel rooms and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do. You know, or if I'm I, I'm pretty sure like a bunch of them who do a lot of business in New Orleans, they probably run, run apartments, you know, or like, uh, yeah. you know, you know how some people have their real home and then they have like a summer home or something like that. You know, if you spend, mm-hmm. if, if you spend enough time working in a certain place, I'm sure, you know, buying an apartment or hell, even buying a house, you know, I think a lot of members of walking dead bought houses down here. A lot of the main actors, but, yeah. you know, they they still yeah. have their houses in, in L.A. or wherever they're from. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me is all it, it, this. I mean, I grew up here. I've lived here my whole life. It's just yeah. Interesting to me, this 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 my little hometown is not <laughs> little <laughs> and it's yeah. not, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I um. I don't know. I remember when they first came to, I think, you know, the walk. I mean, well, there's been movies in Atlanta for a while, but, you know, for, for a while, it wasn't like a big hub of movie making until about 2010 when The Walking Dead decided to film here. And yeah. I guess word spread around that it was a great place to film and other people started coming here. I mean, you've got, I mean, one person told me that one thing that Georgia has going for it that California doesn't yeah. is Georgia, you can't get this wildfire that can just destroy everything. They can just, oh, right. that's literally what they no, said. They talked oh, right. about it. Like, you can't get this wildfire that's huge and destroys everything. Right. Or mudslides or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just, you don't have to worry about it falling into the ocean at any given moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like, um, yeah. yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. it's funny because when they when the, the industry first moved here, that's when I got into background work. 
And um, it, what was funny to me is when they first moved here, they were like, they were they were all from L.A. and they were shipping all their actors from L.A. And they had this idea in their head that people from Georgia could not be actors. They just didn't have the talent. They did, you know, we can use them for extras. We can put them to work as crew, but they cannot be actors. And um, so all the extras were from Georgia, but all the actual actors were still flew flew in from L.A. or wherever. Mm-hmm. And um, now, over the course of years and several factors happening, now we've people in Atlanta have actually we've actually been able to prove to them that hey, there are a lot of talented people here, and hey, we can use them as actors. Uh, I mean, and, you think about Kevin Hart. Yeah, he's literally from. Lithonia, I think, or his people are. Right. I mean, right. but you know, he he they might not have known that at the time. I mean, I'm sure he went <laughs> he moved from Lithonia. He didn't become an actor here. He he went from Lithonia to LA to become an yeah. actor because that's yeah. what you did. Right. right. And um so as far as they're concerned, he's from LA. You know. Um I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but so over time, and now you've got Atlanta actors actually getting series regular gigs on TV shows, and mm-hmm. I mean, me personally, I can't tell you about anything I've done this year, but I can just tell you that I've had a better year with filming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been on like five different productions as a speaking actor, and you know, it's it's only now just June. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. Man. Well, thank you. Get it's all. You. It's mostly because of. It's mostly because I decided to take classes and. Yeah. And you know I still take classes. I was taking classes during the pandemic because we weren't working, and um you know for a while you know they shut down too, but after yeah. a while this we started doing it. I was taking a class in person. It was like a follow up to my Meisner class, and it was another six month class, and I was taking it in person when COVID hit. And um, then we stopped going to class, but then we um, we started doing class on Zoom, which was very interesting, but we made it work, <laughs> you know. So I was doing classes like that, and mm-hmm. um, and it actually, the six-month class ended up being a 10-month class, because at first, we, we were in there for months in person, and then when COVID hit, we didn't actually have classes but we, our instructor wanted us to, to get together on Zoom, and he was just making sure we were okay, and and you know, and asking how we were doing, and, and just giving us an outlet to talk about anything that was bothering us, because obviously it was a very stressful time, mm. and um, and uh, you know, then so we went on like that for a while, and then that kind of mutated into him giving us exercises, and then after a while, I was like, "Fuck it, why don't we just resume class?" on this platform you know yeah and um so i I did that through most of 2020 and i um, mean it's it's fascinating to me how you know video conferencing or zoom or whatever you want to call it um the rules of the road had to be reinvented right absolutely you know know i'm saying yeah like i mean and also going back to you know, nobody knew how bad this could get. And there was also, like, I don't know. Like, I've heard stories about how bad it could get. And it could get oh, pretty right. bad. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
you know. And um, <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you uh, are successful with it or getting more successful with it. Yeah, I'm getting more uh, successful in it. That's the thing about acting, though. It's like your last time could be your last time. You never know. Yeah. But I mean, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still getting auditions. I have an audition that I have to do tomorrow. You know, we tape our auditions, mm-hmm. and I have a, I have a setup at home, and I, I like have, I set my phone on the stand, and it's got a light on it for my lighting, and I, I use my iPad. To FaceTime somebody to read the other lines for me, so you know, so there's an interaction back and forth, and that's how I do my auditions. And I've got an audition I have to turn in tomorrow, and my my um my uh, mm. you know agent still steadily sending me auditions. So so you know, you just acting yeah. is definitely one thing you have to take like one day at a time. For, well, you have to take life one day at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you know. But when you have a nine to five job, you like, um, right? You wake up right. the next day knowing you're going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. And, and yeah. it's like, um, and it's like, you know, with, with acting, you might have a job for a week, and then, um, then that week's up, and you're like, well, what do I do now? And <laughs> you just keep doing auditions and hoping for the best. You know. Until you get to a certain level, like Kevin Hart, for instance, or yeah. Ben or Ben Affleck, where you know eventually somebody's going to ask you, you know, to do. Yeah. Unless. Yeah, I mean, I some of those guys fell off the map, though. I mean, really, some of yeah. them honestly fell off. Like, uh, I don't know. It's hard to think of somebody right off the top, but. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, like those guys, they don't even really have to audition anymore. They just wait to hear from their agent and say, hey, this guy wants you to do, wants you in this. And, yeah. um, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, some of them get tired of it and they fall off the map. And God knows they probably made enough money to, to do it or they, or they find something else that meets their interest. Cause I mean, you got to stay busy when you're an actor. Right now, I'm working for a company that does brand ambassador work. Uh, you know, I just do different shifts for whatever they need me for. Brand ambassador, brand ambassador work. What's that? Yeah, it's just um, I mean, you uh, brand ambassador work could be like promoting different people's brands. Um, like mm-hmm. I don't know, it could be something as easy as being the person who gives out free samples at the mall. Um, mm-hmm. or like the last thing I did was um, was a, a an event where they showed a movie. And the Brookhaven uh, shopping, you know, Brook, there's mm. a Brookhaven outside mall, mm. mm-hmm. and they they set up a movie screen on the green, and and I helped uh, with getting people checked in, and and I, I, I basically worked at the art at the art um, stand mm. that we had where we had they were showing Frozen two, and we mm. had a craft kit where you could build your own Olaf, and so mm. every time every time one of the um, one yeah. of the, the every time you know the people would bring their kids to come see it, and I look at the kids and be like, "Hi, would you like to build your own Olaf?" And they'd be like, "Yes, please," and I give it to them. And that's basically what I did all day, you know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's like you can't just like rely on on acting. You got to do all kinds of stuff in between there, and and a lot of those bigger people that go on, and some of them start their own businesses, and some of them start their own fashion lines, and 
And, you know, some start their own production companies or maybe they decide they want to be directors. And sometimes that takes precedent. That ends up taking precedence over um, the act, acting. I can't imagine doing brand ambassador work would ever become more important to me <laughs> than acting. Well, you know, right. I mean, but I'm just talking about some of these other people. Some of these other people get involved with business ventures that are so big mm-hmm. and they get so involved in what they do that the acting just kind of falls to the wayside. Mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. and maybe you'll see him again eventually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. me i just i just like it because you know i i'm glad we came back to it because at first i made it kind of seem uh, i think i feel like i made it kind of seem like it was all about like making money and it's it's really not i just um i found it because i was fascinated by it and it was something i was good at and i've never been good at anything in my damn life except for singing in a punk band and I wasn't about to make a living doing that. But, you know, so I kept pursuing it and I fell in love with the craft. I fell in love with the work. I fell in love with like just the fact that it's something different every day that, you know, that you yeah. meet, you get new adventures every day and you go to different places and you meet the newest, most interesting people. I and, think I think also, I mean, it just occurred to me, 94 mm-hmm. To 2007. Yeah. Right. What are we we talking about? We're talking about streaming. We're talking about 94 was before streaming. Yeah. Right. Right. And by 2007, streaming had come in and had caused an earthquake. So there's a whole, there's a whole tier of bands now. Yeah. We don't really exist anymore as a band. You're right. Yeah, we kind of, that's kind of, you know, that's uh, kind of the same way it is with Too Far Gone, because, like, um, we we broke up before the streaming stuff hit, and we were these guys, and we were, like, we were a bunch of drunks, you know, <laughs> just like, or I was the biggest drunk, I should be fair, just in case they listen to this, <laughs> but they, but, you know, they, uh, my, my drinking turned into alcoholism, and I'm not near sober now, but, um, but like we at the time we were a bunch of beer drinking punk rockers and we never really got around to doing i mean we played we love we love playing we uh yeah you know we love but as far as like as far as like putting out albums or anything like that we just never got around to it we were Mm -hmm. so busy living our lives and just playing and practicing and playing shows that we just (laughs) we never really got around to putting out music but there was like this one lineup of the band. It was the middle lineup of the band that I was talking about with uh, that dude Jesse. Um, and we actually went into the studio three times, recorded eight songs each time. Uh, so we had a whole string of songs, and um, but we never we never really had the money to put them out on CD because we didn't have like all the internet stuff. Um, you know, it was either demo tapes or CDs. I think we put out a limited number of demo tapes. But then, um, but then, like, years later, Rob, our bass player at the time, Rob Stone, he, um, he messaged me on Facebook. He's like, hey, do you still have all those recordings? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, why don't we just upload them? We're never going to sell them at this point. Why don't we just upload them on Facebook? And, um... And, you know, just and don't, you know, don't charge anything for them. I mean, we've, we've been broken up for like 
years. So who the hell cares about making money off the stuff? Let's just let the people hear them, you know, because they were yeah. good songs and it'd be a shame to leave them to waste. And so we did. So if you look up Too Far Gone on, on Facebook, you can hear a playlist of our songs that we had. I'm um, going to try to find the, the link. I'm gonna okay. Try to figure that out. It's actually... It's actually on a site called Reverb Nation. And, um, oh, yeah. Re- ReverbNation.com. But we have our Facebook page set up and we have the Reverb Nation page linked to it. So you All can right. access our songs from the Facebook page. All right. And it's funny. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. And our mutual friend told me that she told you this um, that uh, we had the songs out. And one day, one day I got an email from somebody they're like they're like hey man i just heard your music and i love it and we really would like to get together with you and we think you could, we could get you on the radio and so i emailed him back and i said mm. dude i said dude that's awesome and thank you but we haven't been a band for like 10 years <laughs> you know, i was like um this is a commemorative page you know so i mean you could put us on the radio but i can't promise it'll get us back together <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we wouldn't. That, really... that is so funny. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you, you might have had a shot, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, right. That that does funny. It's crazy. You know. Um, you know. But you know, so yeah, stuff like that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's nuts to me that that we've lived, you and I. Have yeah, lived through this transition. Oh, um, I love it. I love it. So, yeah, so crazy. Um, yeah, a lot of people are afraid of change, man. I love watching the world change. I love like, yeah. I love the the new and interesting things that come about. And I remember when my dad came home with the first Apple II Plus, you know, and he was <laughs> so excited about it. And I thought it was the neatest thing in the world too. And flash forward. 30 years now I have a supercomputer in my pocket that that I'm Mm -hmm. talking to you on, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and it's like, um, I'm actually walking down the path in my lake, in the lake of my apartment complex talking to you, you know? What, what is so crazy to me is like how you, we live in, in sci-fi, but we don't even realize we don't. Right. Right, like, you, don't, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you know, if you watch the old Star Trek shows, um, I, know, I know what you mean. If you watch the old Star Trek shows, most of the stuff that we have now was already predicted. And do I think that's because Gene Roddenberry could tell the future? No, I think it's because we paint our we paint our own picture of the future. We put it in our heads, and then either consciously or subconsciously, we work towards it and make it a reality. You know, yeah. But for real though, the 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 guy who invented the cell phone, yeah, uh, was a Star Trek fan. Oh yeah, I'm, I have no doubt. Not the smartphone, like the guy who invented like the cell phone. Right. Actually, yeah. Like the, the old Nokia's and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, said he got that idea from watching Star Trek. Hmm. That doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. <coughs> and you know. <coughs> Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, I just had some water go down the wrong pipe. But you know, like 
those old uh, communicators, right? They used to flip the things. They, they used to flip the thing up, the the, the little the cover of it up to talk, you know. And not long after that, we suddenly have flip phones, <laughs> mm. you know, stuff like that. Um, mm. all all that stuff, but yeah, but yeah. Well, you know. ben, well, Ben, is is there anything you want to tell the internet before uh, before we, I, I have to unhook the recording? Because I don't want your phone to die. No, nah, my phone is good, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much time you have allowed for your podcast. I have to get a I have to get some food in me before the next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I, I made sure I ate before I came on here. But um, okay, so anything I want to tell the internet? No, not really. Just um. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking an interest in in my story. And you know, hang hang in there. America's going through a tough time right now, but yeah. But you know, just hang in there. We'll get it sorted out. <laughs> as soon as I heard, as soon as I heard about you, I was like, I need to talk to that man. I <laughs> well, need I, to well, talk to him. Well, thank All you. Right. And you know, like you know, I was told that, and um. And I, I figured you were going to get back in touch with me. And then you were like, dude, I really just want to talk to you. I was like, dude, I was waiting for you to get in touch with me. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, fine, let's just do it. One so thing, like, one yep. water under the bridge, one thing led to another. Well, right. man, you seem like an all right guy. And, okay. Uh, well, you seem like an all right guy yourself. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you guys later. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having Let me. Let me unhook the recording.